welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, I want to share with you today on one word, visible, visible. And uh, as was mentioned, you can take notes inside the program that's there. If you have a smartphone uh, and, and if you have the Bible app, um, it's called version of the Bible app, simply go on your screen. And you can also you can download that at any time. But you go to the Bible app and you hit in the lower right-hand corner the menu. goes down. And then the third thing, when the menu pops up, it's events. And that'll pop up. And it, it'll, it'll either be uh, Grace Assembly of God will be number one listed or Mountain Christian. We've always been number one. And then all of a sudden, Mountain Christian in the first service, they were listed they were listed first. And so, but anyway, under Grace Assembly of God, and you hit that, and then what'll come up is visible. And with the sermon notes that are there and points, and you can follow along and you can take your own notes and, and uh, just uh, use them this week and let them be a blessing to you uh, many, many, many times over. God bless you as you do that. Visible. This is. Uh, Jesus introduces the Sermon on the Mount here, and we're in the series, Loving God and Loving People. And there comes a point where we have to be not only hearers of the Word, but we have to be doers of the Word. And, um, and so uh, the main idea is that we'd make our life and our good works visible so people will see them and glorify our Father who is in heaven. There's a time to be visible, and then there's other times when you're visible, you wish you were invisible. Let me share a moment in my life when I wished I was invisible, and I had striven to be visible, but I suddenly wished I was invisible. I was, um, I was, it was in 1963, and for Christmas that year, when I come out that morning, and uh, I noticed there was a, oh, it was a memorable Christmas memorable. And in the living room of the parsonage, my mom, uh, my dad was a pastor, and we lived at a parsonage attached to the back of the church. In the large living room by the tree, there was this gleaming 28-inch, not 26-inch, 28-inch Schwinn bike with the, um, it wasn't a three-speed, just a conventional pedal and back and brakes. And it was black and gleaming. It had white pinstripes on it. It had chrome fenders, front and back, uh, white wall tires. It had white grips. And it had an official red and white Schwinn bicycle seat. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I was so happy to get that thing. And so, you know, being 11 years old and, and um, I... Eleven and a half years old, I practiced and I rode that thing and raced my buddies and oh man, it was great. And so one day, uh, I wanted to show it off to all my friends at seventh grade. 
and the, the school was a half a mile down the road from us, and you could ride your bike or you could take the bus. And I rode my bicycle one day and put it in the bike rack, and in those days you didn't have to lock it up because people were afraid to steal something, you know. There'd be <laughs> so anyway, I come out at the end of school, and I knew that all of my, this whole seventh grade, all three classes would be assembled on the circular sidewalk and drive where the buses drove, rode in, and then you'd get on. And so I timed it just right, and I got my on, jumped on my 28-inch Schwinn, and I timed it just right to get there before the buses, and I was pedaling fast and furious, come down that circular sweep like that. I had such a head of steam. I wanted everyone to see me. And all of a sudden, the curb was approaching much more quickly than I imagined, and I realized I wasn't going to be able to turn that sucker, and I wiped out in front of the whole seventh grade. I wanted to be invisible. Invisible. But the Lord says that the church is visible, and sometimes it's good to be visible. Years later, I would, many of you know, I would I would serve for seven years as the director of starting new churches in the Assemblies of God here in the U.S. It was a wonderful, wonderful season of life. And uh, I'll never forget when I had to be uh, confirmed and vetted and the whole, whole thing, and they really wanted to ramp this up. And one of the questions, someone said, well, who is he? We don't know him. We never heard of him before. But anyway, uh, I, was, I was confirmed. And um, we're trying to jumpstart this thing. And one day, uh, the head financial officer for the, the financial department, the arm of the Assemblies of God, called me in. And he said, Paul, he said, we realize how important and how essential new churches are to our fellowship because they attract new people and so many people give their life to the Lord. And we want to do something that we believe will help and help what you're doing. This is what they did. They, they, they said, we're starting a $50 million loan fund. And how many know that's, that's not a small chunk of change? And we want you, as a church planning director, to oversee this. And uh, so I'll never forget, I walked out of there on cloud nine, and I went to my, my uh, boss, and I told him the good news. He said, Paul, this is unbelievable. This just does not happen. There are people who have been here their entire life. They would hope to have a tenth of that, and... And that just never happens. He said, this is going to promote church planting, but there's one other thing you need to be aware of. If you sit on top of a pile of money that big, everyone and his brother is going to want it, and you're going to have a lot of disappointed people that you have to say no to. So there's an upside and there's a downside to being visible. But in Matthew chapter 5, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus started out with the Beatitudes. And he, the Beatitudes... And as he, he referenced the Sermon on the Mount and began to teach them, he, he talked to them about the Beatitudes of the Beatitudes, what we should be. We should be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should be the peacemakers. We should be those who, who mourn when, uh, when we mourn over our things that aren't right or over unrighteousness. God comforts us. And we should be humble or gentle. The meek will inherit the earth. Uh, they're the things that we should be. And Jesus went on to teach about the kingdom of God and 
some would call it the culture of the kingdom or the ethos of the kingdom or what it's like in the kingdom of God. And he said that the church, the church and you and I are like salt and light because this was God's history altering, God's history altering intention to change the world through his kingdom. His plans from the beginning are to change the course of this present world through the kingdom of Jesus Christ and through his followers. Not, not by war, not by politics, not by power, but by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his followers, the kingdom of God will bring blessing to the entire earth. There's three things I want to share with you this morning. I think are important, and we're going to look to God's Word under visible. First of all, the idea of being visible. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Visible is a desired place for so many people. It's why, it's why so many millions and billions of dollars are spent on promotion to be visible. It's why, it's why that people, they yearn for visibility. If you're a salesperson, you yearn for visibility. I can't tell you the number of folks who have come to me and they said, you pastor a church and there's people that gather there. We, if you'll give us access and visibility, we'll do this back for the church. And almost always I say, no, thank you. Because you all don't come here to have a salesperson be visible. How many understand this? Who wouldn't want? There's about 500 people that call Grace El Camino home, about 350 on a Sunday that come. Who wouldn't want 500 people that you didn't spend energy on collecting and they're good people and righteous people and they're generous people? Who wouldn't want access to that database? Visible. And the Lord, though, has given to the church a position of visibility. We are the city set on a hill. This visibility, it brings automatic attention. Automatically, without paying for it. It comes, it comes because one day Jesus Christ died for you and for me on a hill, Golgotha, on Calvary's hill, exposed and vulnerable. He hung on the cross and then was resurrected from the dead. So the whole world could witness through the church. And now he's made you and me his church. He's called them the city on a hill. It brings automatic attention. And we're called to use it for God's glory. And to shine the light of Jesus, his love and the good news to people. Back in 1999, one of our vacations to the Outer Banks. And we, there was a period we took... Um, we went 19 straight years. We took our, our children, and then we'd go with friends and family on the Outer Banks, and we started ministry there and have lifelong friends that are there. 1999, we're down on the Cape Hatteras National Seashore, and they're moving the Cape Hatteras light, and we went to see that. You remember, you remember that. It was called the move of the millennium. So many people said it can't be done. The Cape Hatteras Lighthouse was 
commissioned by Congress in 1794 because of the dangerous shoals that were there. It's called, in fact, it's called the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Over 500 shipwrecks are there because of the dangerous shoals off of the Outer Banks. One of the older gentlemen in the first service came to me afterwards. He said, Pastor, I was a sailor. And he said, I could, we could always tell when we were passing the Outer Banks. He said, whether you were on deck or deep in the bowels, in the laundry room or sleeping, he said, you always knew when you're sailing the Outer Banks, the graveyard of the Atlantic, because it was so, the water was so rough and the weather was so unpredictable. What happened with this, this Cape Hatteras lighthouse was that the, over time that the sea's waves, the ocean waves, started to erode the shoreline and it was coming, it was going to topple. And so in 1999, they made the move to move it. And eventually, they would move it 2,900 feet. And Chris and I and our daughters went to see the spectacle. People came from all over. How many have ever seen the, the, uh, the lighthouse on the Outer Banks? On, you know what I'm talking about. It's tall, and it's, it's black and white, and it, the, the black and white swirl around it. It's its own unique marking. And we watched this, and, and they prepared. They, there was laborious and meticulous demo, uh, preparation because, remember, they're moving it on sand. And so many people said it could not be moved because if it was moved, it would be the tallest masonry building ever moved in the history of the United States. And you're moving it on sand, 2,900 feet, better than half a mile, not on the road, but on sand. And so they prepared the way, and then they laid down these massive I-beams. And they, they, somehow they slid them underneath the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse that, by the way, weighed 10 million pounds. And it was pretty high-tech stuff and very skillful what they did. And curiously enough, just before they're ready to move and there'd be a, like a loudspeaker or there's something, they're about to move it, the work crew came out and they whipped out a special high-tech piece of equipment to lubricate the steel I-beams and it was plain old 99 and 44, 100% pure ivory soap. And they sort of greased the skid, not antibacterial, nothing else, just old, regular old soap. And they greased it, and then they would push it, these big hydraulic things, and it would only move five feet at a time. That's all they would move it. And then they'd start the process all over. Took them 23 days, and five feet into 2,900, I believe, is they had to move it 580 times. But at the end of 23 days, they had it moved, and today you can go and see the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, and it should be safe for decades to come. They moved this because it was critically important to save lives. When Jesus Christ died on the hill, and he commissioned the church to be the city on the hill, to offer life and protection and hope. It is critical 
that we are called to protect and to display the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that it includes everybody and everyone can have a part, even if you're just plain old ordinary ivory soap. You can have a part in it. The second thing that in this scripture is this, that not only are we called visible, but we are called to be real, to be real. Salt and light. Matthew 5.13 says this, that you are the salt of the earth, but the salt, if it has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I call this the integrity of visibility. The integrity of visibility. Salt's power lies in its integrity of taste and the integrity of its chemical properties. It means for you and for me that we walk the talk, that we live out the gospel, that we do it with consistency. Do you know the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse shines only for one second? Psst. Six and a half seconds later, psst, darkness. Psst, six and a half seconds later, psst. But that's their unique, their unique signal marker. When the sailors look up and they see that, they say, ah, oh, ah, oh, we're off Cape Hatteras. All it would have to be is off a second, for two seconds. Psst. Five seconds later. Psst. Five seconds. Psst. That's all it would have to be. And the sailors would think they were somewhere else. And they would stand a good chance of sinking being shipwrecked. The Lord calls you and me as we love God and love people to live our lives consistently before people. Here's the deal, friends. We're a city set on the hill. We cannot pick and choose. We're on a hill. We're exposed. How many understand that? So we're called to be consistent in what we do because little things make a big difference. My wife and I, a week ago, yesterday, went up to the Darlington Apple Festival, and our band played, and they just absolutely, I, they rocked it. I had a, it just, it was wonderful. We're, and I'm bragging to people, I, you know, that, that's the church. I pastor that church. Aren't they good, you know, just the whole deal. And, and um, so uh, my wife said, we, we kept smelling this stuff. And she said, that's a funnel cake. I want a funnel cake. And I said, um, I, I'm supposed to be on this diet. And I said, well, I'll, I'll get it for you if you give me a piece of it. You know, how many little things make a big difference? <laughs> and so I, we stood in line. It seemed like it took forever. And oh, my goodness. And the next thing you know, out comes this funnel cake. And uh, so the... The, uh, it was the scouts that were selling it. And they shook a, 
they shook a little bit of sugar on it. How many know when you have funnel cake, you need a lot of sugar? How many know that? If not, what else is going to hide all that greasiness that's been, it's been deep fried at about 325 instead of 375 where it's supposed to be, you know? So they brought out, Chris said, oh, that's not very much. I, I said, no, it's not. But she said, oh, look over here. Here's sugar shakers. I said, oh, I'll shake the sugar. And I grinned, I, I can shake sugar. How about you? And I'm shaking that sugar, man. You know, and, and uh, so we both took a, I, I took a bite for quality control purposes, you know, and she took a bite. It was salt. Why do you have those shakers? Looks like sugar. So I took it back, tried to brush the salt off, and asked them to put some, shake some, you know, what are they, 10x baker sugar, rather powdered sugar. They did. They still shook it right in the middle. And, uh, but we ate it. But, you know, actually, sugar and salt taste pretty good together. How many know that? <laughs> we ate it. And uh, I, yeah. But I, the Lord calls us to be real. Not, not, hey, shake, sh not shake the sugar bowl and what people are getting out is salt. To be real, to be consistent all the time. He likened us to being salt. Salt is essential because without it, our bodies become chemically unbalanced. Our muscles and nervous systems cease to function and eventually we die. Salt is what is it's an electrolyte that carries uh, electrical impulses, allows our nerves to carry electrical impulses to send and to receive. Helps our muscles stay strong. It helps retain fluid. Helps the brain to function and cells working well. I, sometimes I think there's a salt shortage in our in our society, because brains aren't functioning too well. But let's move on to something else. But salt can't be produced by the body. It must be given to us. You and I are the salt of this world. But this world cannot produce salt by itself. It must be provided. Get the salt out of the salt shaker. The power of salt lies in its being different from what it is placed in. Our power is being different from the world. It's by living out the beatitudes of the kingdom of God. It's from living out the beatitudes of being salt and light, of, of being those that we recognize our need of God, of those who are meek and humble and those who hunger for righteousness and justice in the world and those that are pure in heart rather than seeking their self, rather than seeking visibility, are, are, we're pure in heart. We love the Lord with our heart, our soul, our strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. It's those that are merciful rather than we don't need to be merciful. We can take care of ourselves. It's those that are the peacemakers. And Jesus said, even when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, that the Lord will bless you for it. 
That's the difference, church, for you and for me, that we live out what it means to live in the kingdom of God, the Beatitudes. That's the power of salt that is different than what it's put on. You know also that salt has the power to preserve and to disinfect. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I can't say I feel led today. I just feel um, I have these impulses right now because I, as a, being a guy, I like bacon. How many like bacon? Guys, just help me out here. No one, look at them. No one's raising their hand. You're just hanging me out to thank you. Bacon. How many have ever had bacon dipped in chocolate? All the women go, oh, the guys are going, oh. How about maple syrup? What else goes good on bacon? What? Give me some ideas. Come on. <laughs> More salt? Okay. Yeah, let's do Yeah. But salt has this power to preserve and to disinfect. In fact, do you know that salt has been used in curing and preserving meat since, since, since the beginning of time, that we know there's records of it, and how it works, and I thought this is so, cute, so cool. It has this preservative effect because of what they call <laughs> asthmatic pressure. It creates via absorption. You say, what's that mean, Pastor? Well, it's really spiritual if you listen. It's, it's, what it means is this, is when salt comes in contact with cells, there's fluid in those cells. This osmotic pressure, the salt presses up against it, but the fluid in the cells wants to become more salty, and it'll bust through those cells to get to the salt. And when those cell walls are broken down, the salt rushes in and takes over and it preserves it. That's how it works. So that, that piece of bacon, that piece of ham, and I, I like a good ham dinner. How about you? Mashed potatoes and green beans, all that. I love that. But that ham has been cured. And keep in mind that this world cannot produce salt by itself. You and I are salt. We are light. And when we come in contact intentionally with this world, there's a preserving effect. There's a flavoring effect and a disinfectant effect that takes place because you and I are called the salt of the earth. But Jesus said if the salt has lost its virtue, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out. So the Lord is calling you and me and His church to get the salt out of the salt shaker, to shine consistently, to be willing to live life outside of the walls of the church. And even if we are persecuted, God will bless us for it. The blessing that God has for you and for me by being salt of the earth and the light of this world and the, and the light, the blessing that is, has is far greater than anything that could come to us through persecution. Church, God has not called us to have a value of blending in and being camouflaged with this world, but God has called us to be bold. God has called us to go out. God has called us to exhibit what it means to be the peacemakers, to be the merciful. Just 
you know, one of the sayings that we've heard uh, recently is one that Michelle Obama's coined, is that when they, when they go low, we go high. The next thing I want to talk about is being bold. Being bold. It's getting the salt out of the salt shaker, verses 5, 15, and 16. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Be bold. Be real. Be bold. We're visible. We can't be hidden. So be the real thing and be bold about it. Don't say, I want to blend in. One of the men came to me in, in the Sunday school class, and thank God for Sunday school. They're studying the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, this was just this morning, when the church was under persecution, when the world around them was going low, was going low, was going low, they went high. And they called a prayer meeting. And they didn't say, Lord, help us, protect us, and help us blend in. They said, and oh Lord, you... You see what's happening and how they're against us, but as you, O oh sovereign God, you have called the nations together in so many words. You've arranged this for your purposes. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would grant us boldness through the Holy Spirit that we may be able to proclaim your name. The Bible says when they prayed, the place was shaken. When this world goes low, we go high. We don't fight fire with fire. Our strength is not in trying to be like this world. It's not in trying to look like this world, sound like this world, walk like this world, because if it walks like a duck and walks like a duck and sounds like a duck, how many know it's a duck? Don't let anyone think that you and I are a spiritual duck because of how we're walking and where we're walking, but be bold in the name of Jesus. Be bold. It means that, uh, yes, the church is our haven. It's our hospital. It's our training center. It's our family. And I, I love to walk through the, the lobby on Sunday mornings, and my goodness, you all love coming to church, you're seeing your friends, and sometimes you love each other so much you clog up the main entrance so people can't get through. So just shush along. Take your love inside, all right? Then after church, have you ever hung around after church? Do you ever hang around, hang around after church? I mean, people are hanging around, they're talking, they're doing this like they don't want to leave. Gotta leave. El Camino's coming in their worship practice. They're gonna have a service. Thank God for the church as a haven, hospital. But friends, we need to leave the light on. We need to leave the light on so people will feel that they can come. But we also need to take the light and be intentional. Jesus said, go out on the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Most of the people in Harford County and around this world that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ will not hear it 
from a message on Sunday morning. How many understand that? Doesn't happen. Can't happen. There's not enough seats in the 140 churches in Harford County to, to fit the quarter of a million people who inhabit Harford County. Won't happen. It can't. It won't happen. There's not enough seats. So we go in the name of Jesus. We're real. We're consistent. I just read a thing. Um, Krispy Kreme is now in Ireland. Anyone read that? It's quite a story. They got a thing called hot lights. How many know what hot lights are in Krispy Kreme? How many know what hot lights are? All right, yeah. It means when the lights are on, there's a new batch that's done. You ever seen it? You ever been at Krispy Kreme? It's really cool. They said, they said, it's as though Ireland has just re- just discovered what a donut is, and they're hopelessly in love with it. They said there were hundreds of people that stood in line all night long waiting for the hot light to come on. It means, it means this, that the donuts have been cooked and then they're going on this conveyor line and we've been there in St. Louis. We've watched it. And Krispy Kreme, by the way, is from my hometown, Scranton, Pennsylvania. That's where it started in the 1930s. But those donuts are moving along that conveyor line and all of a sudden... They dump them in this river of molten sugar. Hot lights. Hot lights. I believe God has called us. We need to have the lights on. We need to have the lights on, but we need to take our lights and we need to go out there We must go out into the world so that people who are dying without the message of the gospel can hear and know we cannot win this world and change this world by camouflaging ourselves and blending in. When this world goes low, we must go high. We must be intentional. Jesus gave the parable of the lost sheep. There was a hundred hundred sheep. they lead them every night then they bring them in the sheepfold every night. The same old story. Bring them in the sheepfold. Alright, how many is that, Joe? That's 62. Okay, keep counting. 67. 79. 83. 91. 95. <laughs> We're about to pack it in when we go home. 96. 97. 98, 99. Where's 100? Where's 100? Where's 100? He's not here. The hireling said, hey, 99. I'll settle for 99% any day of the week. How about you? And the master said, oh, no. Oh, no. And I don't know why none of the helpers helped him, but it's the good check that went, I'm going to find him. I'm going to find him. That desert place, and he reached out. He reached out. Finally, he brought him home on his shoulders and said, all of heaven rejoiced. The Lord calls you and me to go. Take our light from out and underneath the bushel to do good works. Go with the gospel. Get the light out. God calls us to be visible and he calls us to see what's invisible 
and see that it's visible because God said it so. Because people matter to God. They're not just people standing between my wife and I and the funnel cake we want at the Darlington Apple Festival. They're not just people that when you got to get somewhere and they annoy us and they don't go when the light turns green and they're texting. Listen, they're not just people that wear a costume on Halloween evening and all we see is their costume and we judge them and say, oh, how wicked the world is. God sees the people behind the mask who don't know any better, who are like sheep without a shepherd and will not know unless we speak the voice of God. That's why we're doing this thing. I asked Julie to make this one, the party in the park. This is why someone said to me, I'm, I'm for it, but not on that night. Any other night, it's okay to preach the gospel. There's something that wells up inside of me. We're going where people are. We're not afraid because someone has costumes on. Listen, the Word of God says that one person will put to flight a thousand and put two to put to flight ten thousand. I think sometimes in the church of Jesus Christ that one devil puts a thousand Christians to flight. When they go low, we go high in Jesus' strong name. Hear me out this morning. Any other night, what, is the gospel not effective on Halloween on October 31st? Has the gospel lost its power on that night? Is the gospel something that we can only use when it's popular to be out? No, the Lord Jesus Christ says, there's 99, where's 100? Go, go out on the highway and the byway, compel them to come in. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing, taking outside the walls of the church. I feel really strongly about this, really strong, deep, way down deep. It's not right that we sit in judgment of the way that people wear certain costumes, and they don't know. And yet we'll say, well, we're, we're not, we're, we're not going to, we're going to blend in. We're going to be silent. But oh, aren't they bad because of what they're doing? No. They're people. He died on that hill. He was exposed for all of them, for every one of them. He calls you and me salt and light. Get the salt out of the salt shaker. Go in the strong name of Jesus. Go in his name. So that he said, go in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so my house may be it's as simple as that. Praise his name. We serve a good God, friends. We can't keep it to ourselves. Praise God. Praise his name. So why do we do what we do? We don't do this to grow the church, but to glorify God. Is it hard? Yes. Is it transforming? Yes. Is it a blessing? Yes to both us, followers of Jesus, and to our world. That there's a difference. There's a different narrative out there. It's the narrative of the kingdom of God.
praise his name. Amen. So what's going to happen? Party in the park. We're going to have all kinds of games and moon bounces and hot dogs. I'll make sure the guys get there. Hot dogs. There could be grilling. There'll be candy, probably incandescent lights, 25 games. Our band is going to be playing that night. Some would say, praise God. I'm telling you, their music is pretty good. We're going to have some testimonies. We're trying to arrange a teen challenge right now. They can come. They'll help us with this. And But have one of them give a testimony. Do you not realize how bad the opioid problem is in Harford County? Let them set up a table. Yeah. Let them set up a table because people are out and about. And that's what we're going to do in Jesus' strong name. I'm going to ask you to join me that night. If you can, if it's just something you can't do, I understand that. God bless you. But I'm going to ask you as a church to join me in serving the community around us. Praise his name. Amen. If you bow your heads, close your eyes.